all he does is catch the football. That's, that is beautiful. That's why I came to West Virginia, man. Ding dong, the witch is dead in Arizona. This is a totally energized Heinz Field, the power of the Renegade song. The backyard brawl, man, against Pitt. Look at that. Oh, there's Rob Wolfley. Wow! They came after Donovan McNabb, went after him. They played to win the game. Everybody's going bonkers, even the referees. Oh, those, those look like the sticky gloves right there. We talk about 50-50. Right now it's 50-50. Who's going to get it? Game came with cover zero. Man across the board. Pick up a flag because, hey, and then with the Renegade song, even flags don't count. He's going to get an Italian army behind him right there, just like Franco Harris. My goodness, that is pure guts. Give me a pepperoni roll, man. Hello, and welcome to the Three Wolves of Football with eldest brother, Craig, middle brother, Ronnie, and myself, Dale, the youngest. But welcome, and we thank you for joining the Three Wolves of Football, the boys from Orchard Part of the thing that we've been doing is it, is it the stupid brother of the week? Is it did you really do that? Is it the mulligan? Right? It keeps changing each and every week, and I kind of like that because I like the flow of it. So this week it is not stupid brother week. <laughs> Pony, you're just going to be so happy. This is not stupid brother week, but Derry, this is okay mulligan time. Last okay. week, last week for fun, <laughs> I put on I put on Dick Buckus. And at the end, and he was taunting a player of the opposition after he got an interception. And you went on to say about Dick Buckus and blah, blah, blah. But the main thing I'm getting to is you talked about Ray Mansfield, the old ranger, right there, the center for the Steelers, and the heyday that he had against Dick Buckus and a certain story that he would tell. And I want to know, this is your moment. Are you going to double down on that? Against Ray Mansfield, against Dick Buckus, or are you going to choose to have a redo? I'm going. I'm tripling down. I know that the <laughs> Ranger, the Ranger was would told me the story his own self. Okay, so the fact of the matter is, I'm going to double down or triple down. You know, but I can't do math. I flunked it twice. You know? He was the greatest intimidator that ever played football. I don't know how good a football player was. He scared the hell out of people. Like and the NFL is filled with horror stories of tough men who crossed him. <laughs> he knocked out Elsie Greenwood on a, on a punt. I remember. And he knocked out Warren Banks, and he was a full back, back of fullback. We had but a good special teams player. And I remember Warren sitting on the sideline crazy. I don't know who I am. Because Buck is a blind side and just KO'd him. Full bounty hunters. He had the bad knee, and uh, he was just not himself. And he just he couldn't play, but we killed him anyway, you know. And he was screaming at me, saying, you, you can blank this out, Warren. You man, so you you son of a You said you cheap shot. The whole game he's yelling at me. And I just laugh. I'd go out and I'd cut him, you know, I'd blindside him next. I'd, I'd go looking for him. I was going out of my way. I almost get called flags because I wanted to kill him, you know. I still didn't have any pity on him. But the son of a still won the game for him. Okay. That was Ray Mansfield played 13 years uh, with the Steelers, one year with uh, the Eagles. But the main thing is this: when I say Derry, uh, is he was uh, he's my father-in-law. But 
what was the old Ranger man? And, and his storytelling was legendary. He really was. You know, when I came to Pittsburgh, you know, uh, he had already uh, retired and everything like that. And I'm glad that you said that this was your father-in-law because, you know, you had married one of his gals. So the fact is uh, we had to establish that. That's a baseline. I, I would take it. But anyhow, you know, when I first met Ranger, um, the guy actually it was at a um, it was a, a, a uh, I don't know, some sort of banquet. And he stood up and he had this cigar and he had this tux on and he was so cool. He told the story and he was, you know, he was spot on. He was able to draw the whole audience in. I'm just sitting there. I'm just an idiot rookie, you know, whatever. And I'm, I'm, I'm listening. And, and he just told these stories and they would suck you in. You're like, and I thought to myself, boy, someday I would like to tell a story like that. And that's just the way he was. He was full of great stories. Now, I think he, uh, later on, he, he didn't have to beep out so much. He cleaned it up a little. <laughs> but, but the fact, the fact was Ranger was just a dynamite guy and a great player in his heyday. I just got to say this quickly, too, Craig, following that up. I will never forget the meeting I had with Ray Mansfield. I will never forget it because I've never shook the hand of a man that had bigger hands than Ray Mansfield. (laughs) He had hooks, man. Um, he kind of, kind of hand that just your your own hand got swallowed up in it and made you feel like you were five years old walking through the park with your dad. <laughs> He's huge, man. Fantastic guy. You know the interesting thing, and we'll leave it with this: is this is a story where he passed away in the Grand Canyon. He was hiking, and that's why they called him the Ranger. His nickname because he loved adventures. Uh, and him and Andy Russell did a lot together uh, in the outdoors and yep. passed away. But as a child, he was leaving the state of Arizona and they were going through the Grand Canyon, headed up to uh, Washington State. And he got out of the Grand Canyon and he sat there and said, this is where I want to live. And he said, this is where I want to die. And you know what? That's his favorite place. He would go He would go hiking the Grand Canyon every offseason and, and take his family and friends. And uh, he, He's right now, he's in the book. A book of people that passed away in the Grand Canyon, and you know what? We're just we we know that's where he wanted to go, so that's a good thing. And Let me tell you something. I was on that trail in the Grand Canyon. We hiked it, right? And all I can tell you was, Ranger, you should have had an Uber donkey. That's what you needed, man. You just that would have helped. I'm telling you what. The temptation to get a one of those donkeys and just ride it up, but I know this. My worst fear was that then you'd find one of them donkeys that was having a bad day and you just might commit donkey side, run right off the, you know, <laughs> off the path. Well, honestly, he may have done that if he would have seen you coming. <laughs> okay. But anyway. Especially, especially with your tooth the way that it is. Oh, I know. We're, we're going to get it fixed, boys, but we're going to wait till after the season's over. Okay. Everything. Hey, Craig, 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 don't tell me about the storm. Just bring the ship in. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> this week, okay, DK Metcalf was seen carting off on a medical cart at the stadium, and people are wondering what's wrong with him for the for the Seahawks. And you see here as he's being carted off, you know, he said he had to use the restroom, and they said, "Well, why didn't you walk?" He said, "Because the cringe wouldn't work." But go ahead, what's your take on being carted to go to the restroom? Wow. That that was his reason? 
That was his reason. But he says the cringe walk wouldn't work. You know, I don't have words. You know, I'm just sitting there going, um, you can't make it that far. I mean, it's not a far walk. You know, they always have in every stadium, right, you know, in one of the exits from the field, there's a restroom or something that you can use. Do you really need to be carted? Um, I'm saying it's a little excessive, maybe. Okay. You know, I can't remember ever anybody having that issue. Uh, matter of, I, I, I remember some guys that didn't need a cart because they didn't need to go to the bathroom because it happened on the field. <laughs> and they, you oh, know. Stop. um Pony boy, what do you have to say about that? No, I honestly, right now, I don't know what to say about that. What do you mean by the cringe walk? So, Bob, what, what are you talking you never, about? You've never had to do the cringe walk. No, what, I mean, what? You know what? what? Okay. Are you talking about he had to he had to take a dump? I'm and, talking, yeah, explicitly, yes. Okay, and he didn't want to walk because he had to take a dump. Well, because he uh, had to, he didn't want to walk. He didn't want to walk with the cringe. Okay, look, how do you let it go that long <laughs> where you're going to get carted in? I'm sorry. Uh, sit on your heel or something, dude. Now, this is getting to football. This is what I want to talk about. And I saw this with Ray Lewis, and he gave this, motiv- he gave this motivational speech, and I'm like, man, I love everything he's saying right here. So check this out. And then, uh, Derry, I want you to go ahead and respond first. Effort, effort is isolated. The reason why effort is isolated because nobody can dictate it. Effort is 100% in the mind. No coach, no player, nobody else can make you run to the ball. Nobody else can make you finish it. Well, that's pretty good stuff. And I tell you, you know what, man, at my age, I still get fired up and like, hey, I want to go out and play. What's Ray saying there, man? He's talking about finishing off the place and how it, it's generated from within. You know what I mean? The fact of the matter is, it's funny because I've heard some guys, too, that played with Ray. And they'll say, you know, he, he gives these great speeches, but sometimes he just goes off and they sit there and they go, what did he just say? <laughs> they don't know what he said. It's kind of like, you know, he's he's kind of like freewheeling and freelancing a little bit. But there, he, he was making a point, and he's making a point talking about you've got to be able to finish. You've got to draw it out from within yourself. And then nobody can make you do it. It's all about you, the want to. Man, I can't, I cannot uh, get enough of that right there. First of all, Ray played the game that way. Right. Ray played that way. Um, it's one thing you get up and talk, and we all know, and we all, as soon as I say talk, we all know that guy, don't we, boys? We all know that guy who would get up and love to talk, love to talk. But did you back it up? Did you go out and play the way that you were talking you were going to play? It's so easy to make these vows under sun, moon, and sky that you're going to go out and you're going to do this. And, and it's quite another thing to actually go out and do it. Ray did it. So when I hear him talking like that about the intensity level and your effort and how you control it 100%, anybody that is listening right now, that's 100% right. Never forget that. And if you don't bring 100%, that's on you every time you step in between those white lines. You know, and it's funny because I hear so many sit there and we'll say after the game, well, the coaches didn't have them prepared. The coaches didn't do this and that. No, they had, did not have themselves prepared, whether that's in high school, whether that's in college, 
or in the NFL is you have to be your self-motivator. And that's the guy that can go around and, and talk about it because he did it. You know, Chuck Noll was always really big on saying you play with enthusiasm. You don't play on emotion. Emotion is too variable. It's too up and down. It's too, you bring your enthusiasm. It's self-generated. So that means you've got to prepare yourself throughout the week, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, to be able to engage on Sunday when they kick the ball off. Because let's face it, that's an abnormal thing to do. You know, putting on a chin strap and a helmet and running into parked cars is abnormal, okay? But that's what we were born to do. We loved it. That was part and parcel of our DNA. You know, we had that football DNA. You go out and do it. And you see a guy like Ray Lewis, and he did it at the greatest, highest levels. But even Ray Lewis had his kryptonite. I remember a number of battles with Danny Kreider, the fullback from the Steelers, and Danny would go on those power ISO leads, and he and Ray just had some horrific, crashes. And I used to call it the uh, the Danny Kreider. I, I, I'd say uh, Ray Lewis has just been uh, cited with a rash, a Danny Kreider rash. <laughs> it's it's on the front of him because the, those those collisions were just unbelievable toughest position in the national football league is fullback oh i knew you're gonna say that and linebackers doing safeties you know offensive linemen deal it goes on and on the story but the next day we're gonna move from one ex uh baltimore raven to a current one lamar jackson and against buffalo because it was fourth and two game was on the line you have Lamar Jackson probably, or closely, he could be the MVP of the NFL this year. Do you go with fourth and two, or do you kick a field goal? Watch this. See him drop back. He's going to get the pressure. And guess what? That point makes the interception. You know, go ahead. Buffalo goes down the field, and they kick a field goal to win. What, what do you do? Because people are like, man, do you, do you go for it? You got the possible MVP right there, Lamar Jackson. You put his hands or do you trust your defense? Well, one thing for sure is Jim Harbaugh is one of those guys. I'm sorry, John Harbaugh is one of those guys who goes by the statistical analysis. You know, he's all about that and the percentages. And he, you know, I, he referred something to it that that the uh, the stats kind of backed him up on it. I don't know. I mean, to me, you always take points, you know, you know, when you're when you're on the road. Uh, you might settle for a field goal, but when you're at home, you go for the touchdown. And the coach, I always look at it this way. You know, great coaches, they coach, they still coach by their gut at the, you know, the uh, mm-hmm. epic moments. It's the gut instinct that carries them, that separates them from the also-ran coaches. They still trust what they know, and they trust what their gut tells them. Hello, you play to win the game. <laughs> um. I, I honestly, I love the fact that John Harbaugh said that that dude is Lamar Jackson and he's going to find a way somehow, some way to get that ball in and we're going to win this game. That for me, I got no problem. He banked on Lamar Jackson and that fourth down and I do it again as well. Yeah, I'm going to go with you on this one because I believe that, you know, you haven't scored in the entire second half, and then your defense has given up all those points to Buffalo in the second half. So you really got to trust your defense at that point. And I'm just talking about this game. Now, let's not forget Miami a couple weeks ago. They were way up on the Dolphins, 
and the defense once again let him down. So going for it with a Lamar Jackson and two yards in the shotgun, there's a lot of things that can happen. And I'm actually kind of surprised that he just didn't do a quarterback draw with him because, you know, when you park that Red Sea, man, so many times in the – especially right down there in the goal line, the red zone, uh, it's, it's wide open. But so because of all this that went down, the Bills went back and they kicked that field goal. And they could have scored a touchdown regardless, but this is what I saw, and this is what I don't like. And I just want, you know, I don't believe that there's any part of this that I like in the new game of the NFL or football period. You see Peters, the DB, going after Harbaugh on the sideline and, you know, making a scene. You know, you wouldn't do that to Chuck Noll. You, you know what I mean? Uh, Paul, well, you wouldn't do that to your coaches. I know you're handy. No, there's, there's not. There's no way. And are we at the point? Where are we at culture-wise where players are losing it and causing scenes? Harbaugh is probably one of the coolest dudes as a head coach there is in the NFL, at least by what I see and by perception. I don't know him very well or by any means. So, But, again, is where is the culture now that players can go ahead and make scenes and going after coaches? You know, for me, it's it's totally changed. I mean, hello, Syracuse, right? I'll give you an example. Um, I was, uh, when I got moved up from second team to first team my freshman year, I was also moved up from the second team extra point field goal to first team extra point field goal, naturally, right? So here I am in my first game starting. I think it was against the University of Maryland or something like that. And, uh, you know, I'm a freshman starting, you know, it's a pretty big deal, right? So I come off the field when it's, you know, it's, it's fourth down. And I'm, you know, I'm getting my Gatorade and I'm standing over on the sidelines there. And I'm like going, yeah, boys, let me tell you what it's like out there. Right. You know, and all of a sudden I hear this, we're down a man. Who is it? And I'm looking around and I go, oh, is that guy in trouble? And all of a sudden I hear, Wolfley. It's like, no, I just remembered at that moment. I ran out as I ran by Frank Maloney. He kicked me right in the rear end. Right. I mean, he just hauled off and Gave me a kick right in front of 50,000 people at, at Syracuse at Archbold. So after the game, dad comes up, right? He goes, why Why did he kick you? I go, and I explain the story. And he goes, oh, he should have kicked it twice. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wasn't, I was not doing my job, you know? And it's a different life or different culture now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now it's it's a different deal. Well, you know, yeah, the funny thing about that, Tony, let me hold off on this real quick, is, you know, you said 50,000. I don't remember ever a time of 50,000 people at Archibald Stadium. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's like I told you, I flunked math twice, so. <laughs> Go ahead, buddy. Go with your story on the culture. No, I was just going to say, um, you know, I, listen, I love hard coaching. You guys know this. Um, I love it. Um, it's like a warm blanket to me on a cold winter's night to listen to a coach go out there and get after somebody because you guys know as much as I do that when a coach really gets after you for the most part, he sees a little something in you that he's trying to pull out of you. Um, coaches typically don't waste their breath with guys that they don't think have a chance of ever playing. John Harbaugh is one of the more intense coaches in the National Football League, in my opinion. And um, I hate the fact that suddenly you've got – um, a guy that is ready to go after his coach um, because maybe his coach said something that was a little harsh. Um, you know, the, the player-coach relationship is starting to melt in the year 2022 of our Lord, and I do not like it, period. Um, but, you know, to Craig's point, 
That's the way that it is for the most part today. I don't ever accept it, and I never will accept it going forward. Unless the coach calls you something uh, by name that is so offensive, whatever it may have been, where you just lose your mind, because I understand losing your mind on the football field. I think we all have at one point in time. But, um, yeah, I just – I hate to see it, Soda Pop. Yeah, I, I do too. Uh, I'll also remember about Archibald Stadium. Because when he kicked you in the can, I went up to him and said, hey, that's my brother. That's right. You did. <laughs> I said, you can't do that. That's my brother. And they're like, get this kid away from me. Yeah. It was Jerry Angel, the defensive line coach. He pulled you away. He was like, Dale, be quiet. <laughs> no hey, Soda Pop. Loyalty, brother. Loyalty. There's a long line of you doing stuff like that in our <laughs> lives. Long okay, so line of that stuff. Loyalty, man. Well, hey, you know, let's move on now with, with the Cardinals. And, uh, you know, I saw something that was really cool. And I want to play this. This is a highlight. Uh, it's you and Pashman, uh, Pony Boy. And, and yeah. credit to the Arizona the Cardinals here for this. But this is pretty cool. You can talk about it when you're done. So Eno Benjamin is going to kick off for the Cardinals. He kicks off. <laughs> he runs down there. Stephon Sullivan's got the ball, and Benjamin lays him out. And he hands it off. Benjamin left side with room at the 30. Benjamin stiff army 25. Eno Benjamin with the daily double. Kick the thing off. Then go down and make the tackle. That is legendary right there. A legendary kick cover. He's a running back, correct? Yeah, he's a running back, Soda Pop. Story, because he's got a good story, I think. Yeah, no, it was incredible, man. All of a sudden, you look down, and Matt Prater had a hip flexor going into uh, the game, and suddenly Prater wasn't out there, and you're like, look at that dude. He looks way more athletic than Prater, who's (laughs) holding the ball. And it was Eno Benjamin, uh, backup running back, of course, and Eno teed that thing up and – This is something that as a former special teams player, and that's what I was, and I'm proud that I was. I loved it. It tapped into the very essence of the game of football to move your frame with speed and collide into somebody. Just the collision was, um, that's the game for the most part. And um, to see, you know, kick the ball off. And then run down the field like a madman and make the tackle. You never see that in the NFL, and you may never see that again in the NFL unless it's a backup kicker. Larry, what do you think, man? Oh, I mean, that's spectacular. You know, but again, it's a backup kicker. You got to remember, some of these kickers, you know, you got to watch out because, you know, you get one of those kickers, they can blow a knee out. You know, the Steelers had one a couple years ago at the Hall of Fame game. You know, he kicked the ball off, and he went down, and he – tried to make the tackle and he ended up blowing his knee out. And it was like a year where they had to bring in three or four kickers before they finally found one, you know, so you got to be careful. That's, that's the situation, but you know, what are you going to do? And by the way, you know, do you guys realize 1980 home opener against the Houston Oilers, right? Opening kickoff who made the tackle? No. Oh yeah. L three baby. L three. L three went. Now people said, there were some people that said, okay, you were so slow that every, they picked up everybody else. And so I, I love that. Well, but I still made the hit. You still know what? amazing. 
that's that was 1980, and so that was what 42 years ago, or what is it? Yeah, 42 years ago. So if you I still have. remember that, I'm not going to take that away from you. Okay, <laughs> thank you. I'm going to let you enjoy that memory. You've had it for 42 years. Why destroy it right now? So good job, <laughs> brother. I love it. And we're going to continue on with the Cardinals because the Cardinals two and two. I've been worried about them. I've been worried like what's going on with the offense and uh, going out to the Panthers and and you saw some good action here. Tell us and break down the game there, Pony Boy. What did, what did you see? Yeah, you know, it's, it was really, really similar, as a matter of fact, to the uh, Raiders game, game number two of uh, the season for the Cardinals, where the Raiders came out and had a 20 to nothing lead in the first half. And the Arizona Cardinals came back in the second half largely because of Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray was just making plays you may never see again on a football field running around for 22 seconds, running around and trying to throw the ball uh, to his receivers as he's running around and avoiding block and then running in for touchdowns and two-point conversions. You may never see plays like that again. Um, but it was largely Kyler Murray. Week four, this last week against the Carolina Panthers, the second half, the same thing. They looked dead in the water. The first half could not move the ball with any consistency whatsoever. Second half, they came out. This time, it wasn't just Kyler. It was everybody else around him, right down to the offensive line, blocking very, very well, coming off the ball. They ran the ball vertically in a north-south fashion, as opposed to all this east-west action that you see. They like that. They like the wide receiver screens. They like the zone reads with Kyler Murray. They like getting the ball out on the perimeter. It was more north-south is what they were doing with the likes of James Conner and Eno Benjamin and and Daryl Williams. They were running the ball more vertically as opposed to horizontally. And that's something they also did in the second half against the Raiders. They tried to run the ball. They stuck with running the ball. They didn't panic. They came back. They eventually won that game, and that's exactly what happened in Carolina as well. They came back and took control in the second half of the game because they pounded the football, and their defense showed up as well. Well, that's that's really a, a, a great point. And, and there's one other going 22 seconds, though, fellas. Dale, you were an offensive lineman. Would that not drive you nuts? I mean, I'd be exhausted. You're trying to block somebody. 22 seconds. That is a lifetime in terms of, you know, action. That's unbelievable. The only thing I'm going to say is you got a memory like an elephant, man. 42 years ago, you remember your kickoff tackle. And then a couple (laughs) weeks ago, you remember Kyler Murray scrambling around for 22 seconds. It was incredible, though, Soda Pop. I know you saw it. I saw it, too, but I just love Brother Derry, man. He's, he's got the memory like an elephant, man. Good job. Uh, I'll tell you, we're going to move now there, Mr. Elephant Memory, to uh, the Steelers. And, of course, a lot of things going on. Now, we're going to take this step at a time here. But I have to I have to go to the rookie wide receiver pickets. Man, PFF, Road Football Focus, Rated him as 87.5%, the highest rated 
wide receiver in the NFL going into Monday Night Football. I'm not sure what happened after Monday Night Football, but he was there. And you said the last time against the Browns when he made that spectacular one-handed catch, he can't be a one-trick pony. And my thing is you're going to see here is you're going to see him blocking right now, and eventually you'll see a couple of receptions he made with Kenny. But, again, this is no one-trick pony. You see him up top right there. You see him knock the Jets guy down. This guy loves to hit. I mean, not only does he want to make spectacular one-handed catches, he wants to knock the dude out. I mean, and I say out, I'm not saying he's trying to hurt him, but he is trying to lay the wood down the right way. Tell us about this rookie that is sensational so far. Well, it's really funny because this kid Pickens, you know, you saw that he lays out and makes that one-handed catch, right? Like Odell Beckham Jr. Spectacular. Then he comes off and says, on my list of top catches, that was probably number seven. I'm like going, I want to see one through six. All right? I mean, like, wow, that's amazing. But, you know, the thing about it is his physicality, he's a slender guy. But, man, does he have some, I don't know, some under and up strength, as Chuck Noll used to talk about it. He was running a, uh, a a kind of like a, a pick route, a rub route. You got to call it a rub route because, you know, if it's pick, it would be illegal, right? Right. So we call it a rub route. He runs it with Chase Claypool. He hit the guy over him so much, it rocked him back. So when Claypool ran his out route as he's going to, you know, go to these sidelines, he ended up running over the defensive back who got knocked back so far, and he got called for pass interference because Pickens knocked his guy so far backwards. But this guy has got a little bit of, like, zip do da a little violent stuff in going. You know, most wide receivers, they're not like that. But he's got he's got some Heinz Ward in him, let me tell you. And that's why I'm a Pickens fan, man, because that guy is going to do whatever he has to do to be successful. What's your take on it, Pony Boy? You know, um, it's really cool to see that, a guy that is so talented. I – I always felt like a caveman throwing rocks at the moon when I saw dudes who were really talented. You know, I mean, for me, I just, you know, I'm throwing rocks and chucking at them because I just didn't, I could never understand that. Um, Being physical and tapping into the essence of the game, I think all three of us would say we did that well. We were, we were able to do that well. But um, I love it. Every, anytime I see a very talented human being tap into the essence and tap into the rage tree, um, I love seeing it. It's very cool. Yeah, I, I do too. And I'm going to continue on because there's a big game coming up here in Buffalo with the Steelers. But well, first, really? let's, yeah, let's, let's listen to the Steelers and Bills. You, you know it's going to be smacked on. But I want you to listen to this because this is Mika Fitzpatrick with a highlight, and this is you, Derry man, making the call. I love it. Hands of Conklin into the hands of Minka. Garrett Wilson guilty of offensive P.I. I think you'll decline that penalty. You take the pick six. Where's the Minka magic? Right there is the Minka magic. I'm telling you, that's what you want to see. You got him in the back. He's got eyes like a hawk. Comes out of nowhere, makes a great play, and then you flip it from defense to offense and punch it in the end zone. Way to go, Mika Fitzpatrick. Uh, I was listening to that. I had to get that, and that was the Steelers uh, radio right there providing that. Uh, you know what, man? I just, I just get juiced up. And, and uh, unfortunately, though, the Steelers and Mika especially, are, I think, are going to miss this week. And what's going on with that secondary of the Steelers? Well, we got to see. 
you know, we got a lot of they got a lot of injuries. They've had some injuries there. Cam Sutton's on the injury report. Minka's on the injury report. Um, a couple other guys are, and the, basically the secondary uh, you know, is on on the injury report. So we'll we'll see what's gonna what what how this will play out. But you know, you you go into Buffalo, you're going into one of the most hostile environments you could possibly encounter in the National Football League. I remember all the way back to 41 years ago, I think it was, my rookie or second year in the league. And I will never forget playing at what was then Rich Stadium and now Highmark. And I was coming off the field. Um, and as we're coming off the field to go up the, you know, the walkway, you know, uh, you know, up to the locker room, we're coming off the field. My line coach go, comes over and goes, wow, he says, I, I, you're from here. You grew up – what, two and a half miles? I go, I thought, he says, I, I thought you were really popular with the fans. I go, oh, yeah, they love me. They're, they're like spitting at me as we're walking up the tunnel. They're giving me the Hawaiian good luck charm, you're number one, that sort of thing. Um, you know, they're throwing things, you know, paper things. And, and, and they can hear them going, oh, play, what's the matter with you? What, what, you don't like, you don't want to play for Buffalo? I'm like, did you ever hear of the draft? <laughs> it was a draft thing, you know. Um you know, so it was funny, but it's it's one of those things. It was great. It was just so much fun to come home and play ball in that stadium that we grew up watching as young guys. You know, Pony, but I remember a story of going and watching you come back and play in Buffalo, and it was winter time, and it was hard. And I want to let you finish the story real quick because you remember the punt, Rich Camarillo. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember in Rich Stadium. Go ahead, man. It was no, it was incredible, man. We came back and we were backed up. I'll never forget this, man. We were backed up inside our own five yard line, and um, suddenly uh, we had to punt. And uh, there was a timeout. I went out there um, and called a timeout. I was the personal protector. Rich Camarillo was the punter behind me, and all of a sudden the Bills came out and they put Steve Tasker on the end. Seven guys overloaded to the left. Seven guys with Tasker on the end. Steve Tasker, seven-time special teams uh, pro bowler. This guy blocked punts. He did everything. He changed games. That's how good Taz was. He changed the outcome of games. I changed face masks. He changed games. And suddenly he was out there on the end, and I looked at it, and I time out, time out right there. I called a timeout, and I went. I had to talk about this. How are we going to block this with Taz over there? Boy, I'll never forget. Gene Stallings loved that. Boy, if I think that was a great move by you to call that timeout right there. That's what Gene said to me. By the time we got back out onto the field, this this cloud uh, in in rain and in hail started coming across the field literally at Rich Camarillo, and we punted it into this deluge of, of just pouring down hell and wind, and the ball went straight up in the air and came all the way back and landed on our five-yard line. Think about that. And you guys know in Buffalo, only in Buffalo, when the wind comes off the lake, only in Buffalo could that happen, and it did, all because of a timeout. Yeah, there's no doubt. And I think about last year, I took Maverick, my son, your nephews, our nephew, and we took him to the Bills game against the Patriots. Coldest 
game I've ever the windiest game I've ever been to in my life. I was a gamer. Belichick ran the ball like fifty plus times uh, to beat the Bills last year. Well, let's continue on. With, yeah, Derek, you want to hear a story? I I got to tell you a story. We got well, time for a story. story. We got time for a story. Okay. Last time I played in Buffalo, we're playing against great Bills defense. You had at the nose tackle. You got the great Freddie Smurless. All right. You got the one inside linebacker, Jimmy Hazlitt, and the other is Shane Nelson. Nelly, right? They called it the Bermuda Triangle. Okay. Those guys were tough guys. I mean, especially Freddie. Freddie and I played against each other a couple of times. He's at Boston College, you know, uh, you know, and then Syracuse. And then when as pros, we played against each other. Terrific competitor, great player, strong as all get out. He was he was just a monster. And Jimmy Hazlitt was, you know, he was just a nutcase. I, you tough love him. He's a great player. Matter of fact, it was so funny because, you know, when he, he was in, in Pittsburgh, or I'm sorry, when he was a rookie in Buffalo, at the end of the first week, he had fought every offensive lineman. <laughs> he was just, but anyhow, so the whole first half, we hadn't even gotten a first down yet in, against Buffalo, Okay. We're out there, the great Mike Webster's at center, right? So Webby says to me, we're backed up on our own five-yard line. And he and he comes, and I, I hear him, and he goes, watch this. I'm going to get Freddie. And we go up to the line of scrimmage where they're like this. And, and you know, all the, Jimmy has this yell, watch out, you know, watch out this, watch out that. And all of a sudden, Webby squeezes the ball ever so. Now, this can only work against a guy who's as quick, as, as twitchy as a sneeze. Okay? And that's what Freddie was. He's playing nose tackle. He's right on Mike's, right on his nose and everything. And, and – and Webby just squeezes the ball, though. Boom! He takes off, you know, five yard. Or we got the uh, five yard penalty. We go to the ten, right? We come back into the into the uh, end zone, and we're huddling up again. I hear Hazlitt going, "Freddie, I warned you. I told you, Webby will squeeze that ball." And Nelly's going, "Going, yeah, Freddie." And this and, and Freddie's going, "You guys shut up, you know." <laughs> You're going back and forth, right? So, so we come up to the line of scrimmage again. The crowd's cheering, and everyone's going crazy. And son of a gun, if Webby didn't do it again. <laughs> And he jumped off sides again, and we got our first down. Now, Hazlitt is beside himself, and he's screaming at Fred. Fred's screaming at him. Uh, you got uh, Marv Levy is screaming at the both of them from the sidelines. And then the referee comes over. He goes, am I going to have to throw a, a personal foul, you know, unsportsmanlike <laughs> conduct at you guys? They're fighting each other in the huddle. Oh, my gosh. It was, and it was all Webby. Webby just kind of went, eh, eh, you know, just that little <laughs> squeeze when you snapped that ball, man. It was funny. Kenny Pickett, okay, came in. He's going to be the starter. Going to <laughs> IMARC Stadium, Bills Mafia, first start ever. I go back to great coaches coach also not just with their head but with their gut, <clears throat> and they know their team. They know their players. Mike Tomlin's a great coach. You yes. know, I I keep saying this over and over. When when the, when Dan Rooney signed Chuck Knoll. As, a, as a, his first head coach in 1969, it began the process of three straight head coaches that are going to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I don't even know how to quantify that. You know, hitting you talk about hitting the trifecta of great coaches. But anyhow, Mike Mike Tomlin coaches also with his gut. He's the guy wears he wears uh, leadership like water wears wet. You know, what I mean, he is decisive and he knows what he wants. And he made the decision. He there was no other, you know, ramification that came about that I understand. It was just simply, it was a gut instinct. Kenny provided a spark. Kenny went out and provided a spark. Now, um, he, he, you know, as a young guy will do, he threw three interceptions. But the fact was, the first one, he threw to Chase Claypool on a bombs away, and it was a heave-oh. 
And uh, Chase Claypool actually could have made a play on the ball. And it's unfortunate that he didn't. But also, you know, Kenny got a, a tweet from uh, Ben Roethlisberger and said, don't worry about it. And, and I threw an interception on my second pass, you know, ever, you know, as a, as a starter. So it's just one of those things. He's got to learn. And the only thing he really needed to learn was that one uh, ball to the sidelines at Pat Fryermuth. You know, he said afterwards he knew he shouldn't have thrown it. You know, he had a third down working, and he he threw a 50-50 ball, which really was 50% of them wanted to throw it out of bounds and 50% of them wanted to make a play. And you get in between that, and you get the interception. That's the problem. But Kenny's got he's got a lot of upside, man. He is something. Experience is all he needs, man. He needs yeah. reps. You know, just think, Soda Pop. Just think when you were making your way and – you, Derry, as well, you're making your way. And I know I experienced it myself where, you know, you're trying to figure out how it's all going to work. And, man, you, the way you would grow, your confidence would grow based on the reps you were receiving, the experience you were gaining. Yep. I think Kenny Pickett is going to be very special. I think it's really hard to go to the Bills Mafia without knowing it's your first start ever in the NFL, the number one secondary in the league. And you're asking Kenny with Von Miller on the edge and and doing some things there with the Bills. And then, of course, you got a Josh Allen on the other side. Now, for the Steelers, the good news is the the Bills are really beat up. I'm looking at their their report today for injuries, 16 players on it, 16 players on there. And 10 of them didn't participate in practice today. Some key guys. So, uh, Kenny, you know, we'll see how that goes. We'll see how it all works out. But no matter what, your first start against the Buffalo Bills and the Bills Mafia, which you know exactly how rough they are, it's got to be a tough thing. It's going to be a tough thing. It's probably about as tough as jumping on a table and blasting the thing to smithereens, you know, as you'll have your Bills Mafia, you know. But the fact is, you know, here you go, and you guys know what I'm talking about. There is nothing better than waking up on a Sunday morning and you got kickoff and the adrenaline's flowing, the electricity. You're in a city that everyone hates you. No one thinks you can win. And you you got your boys with you, and that's it. And you're all walking that zone right up to kickoff. And, man, there is nothing that fires you up, like going out there and knowing you are Coming into a stadium where if there's 80,000 people, there's 80,000 that want to see you fail. They they root again, you know, and it's just wonderful because the odds are overwhelming. But what tests your metal more as a man, as, a, as an NFL player, than to go into a situation like that and emerge victorious? It's it's absolutely awesome. Until Von Miller flattens you. <laughs> yeah, those, there's always problems. <laughs> Everybody's got a plan until he gets hit. Isn't that right, Mike Tyson? Everybody's got a plan until he gets hit with the right hand, is what George Foreman said. <laughs> okay, so let me finish it off with this. And here's a good thing for the Steelers. Because the last time that a Steeler quarterback, or any quarterback in the NFL, started his, his rookie game against the number one secondary, the Steelers, including as Ben Roethlisberger, they won. When Ben Roethlisberger was a rookie, yeah. the Steelers beat the number one secondary team. So that's a that's a good sign. And remember this, though, on the bad side, the Steelers have never been 14-point underdogs, ever. Even in the Super Bowl against the Cowboys, they were 13-and-a-half-point underdogs. They lost by 10. 
Okay, so remember the the Steelers have never been fourteen point underdogs. Something's gonna something's gonna go here. It's gonna be interesting. We're gonna see. You know, Steelers Bills. I tell you, I'm conflicted, man. I want to see. I want to see a good game. I want. I don't want to see the injuries, but I want to see. I want to see Pickens making some catches. I want to see Josh Allen making some plays. You know, I want to see a good game. That's what I really want to see between two good teams. You know what? I want to see a Steelers win. That's it, baby. <laughs> That's it right there. And I'm looking forward to coming into Buffalo because I think we're going to hit uh, one of the either the uh, chop house or, or another of the uh, restaurants there and do some Buffalo wings. Get prepped, get ready. You know, I, I'm excited. This is going to be great. I um, I love games like this. Yeah, you know, for me, man, I can't lose. <laughs> <laughs> I can't lose. Right. No doubt. Well, listen, we got two more things to get to before this is over. Number one, I have to do this. I Geno Smith. Okay. He has got a 77% completion percentage. First time after four games in any NFL quarterback in the history of the game. Geno, a great story. Ten years he's really been waiting. Ten years in the league. And he's getting this great opportunity down the road after some tough lessons early on. But here he is. And He's playing lights out. He was the NFC Offensive Player of the Week this week. You know, I'll tell you, he's West Virginia. I love, I love this guy, and I'm just rooting for him. You know, Pony Boy, go ahead. Yeah, you know, um, just Pete Carroll is a very um, good football coach. That's what I'm going to say about it. It's very hard for me to say that, all right? <laughs> but it's yeah. the truth. He, he is. He has put together a very good staff, as he typically does. Uh, he is an excellent head coach, has been for a long time in the National Football League. Um, it's really interesting to see this going on because, guys, I can tell you, uh, we play the Seattle Seahawks twice a year. I go up there every year, of course, to Seattle. And as I went up there, um, the last couple of years in particular, especially last year, um, there was just some conversation with some of the analysts there that they were whispering basically about Russell Wilson and had Russell Wilson lost a, a lot of what made him Russ and they were questioning it. I, I don't know what they were talking about. I'm looking at Russell Wilson and thinking, oh my goodness, he, he still looks like he's more than capable. And um, suddenly, guess what happened? Russell Wilson got moved. And he wanted to be moved. And Denver said, thank you very much. And then signed him to a seven-year extension or whatever it was. And um, now all of a sudden, Geno Smith is up there with Pete Carroll. And they are two and two. And not the joke that I thought they were going to be. And I don't mean Geno Smith. I don't mean that for any player or Pete Carroll for that matter. Just the franchise. They're two and two. And they're physical, and they'll fight you. And um, I respect that. Here's the thing, man. You know, I forgot. I, I didn't have time to, to eat before, so now I'm starving. So it's on my gourd. You know what I mean? So I'm sitting here, and I'm like going, yeah, yeah, Seattle. Yeah, Geno Smith. Yeah, he's a good player and all that. But, you know, that's sushi. Yeah, we had sushi in Seattle. You know, just one thing leads to another, man. Craig, um, we all know you're not eating sushi, man. You're down in lasagna. <laughs> That is the ultimate comfort food. Yeah. I mean, lasagna is. That's okay. oh, no like lasagna. Oh, anyway. All right. Quick breakdown. You got the Eagles coming in this week. Big game. They're playing. Jalen Hurts lights out. The team is tough. What do the Cardinals got to do to win? 
Yeah, you know, they got to be able to run the ball. The, the Cardinals have to run the ball and hopefully do it in a very physical kind of way because that's the one weakness I see with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, they're number 25, as a matter of fact, in the league in um, uh, yards per carry allowed. Yes, number 25 in the league. They're giving up five yards a carry. Imagine that. They're 25. And yet here they are, five yards a carry. Who's worse than that? I mean, there's a lot of teams that are struggling out there, but that's the only area I see them struggle is the fact that they're having a hard time stopping the run. They line up and they come with a solid look. They'll cover the three interior offensive linemen with two outside linebackers off the edge and one linebacker, a Mike backer stacked over the solid front that they give you. And they play pass coverage, man. They come after you, but um, they're having a hard time with the run. And if the Arizona Cardinals can actually line up and hammer the box, man, in a north-south way, like what they did in the second half against Carolina, I think they have a chance to pull an upset. If they don't do that, I don't see a path of victory for this team because Jalen Hurts in that offense is electric, guys on fire as a matter of fact right now um the kansas city chiefs average 19.8 rushing attempts against their defense averages 19.8 you know who's number two in the nfl the philadelphia eagles because they usually have a lead on their opponent teams are only running the ball 20 times a game against the eagles you have to you have to be in the game you have to have a lead, and you have to run the ball against them if you want to win this game. And hopefully that's going to be the case. All right. Well, I think that's going to about do it, except for let's end on a fun note. Here you're going to see Monday Night Football. You see the, uh, the Rams versus the 49ers, and I think you know what's coming. You can see the, the pink. The spray, the protester is out there. He's running. He makes the turn, play by play. Oh, there comes Bobby Wagner and puts the protester down, waving his pink spray, all that good stuff. You know what? You're not supposed to be out of that field. No. Well, go ahead. I'll let you finish it. Let me let me just say this. I've seen three great hits. Okay. One was Mike Curtis back when I was growing up, all right, when we were all – Mike Curtis from the, the old Baltimore Colts when they were in Baltimore, and he clotheslined a dude, and it was lights out. The second one, though, we are in Cleveland uh, Christmas Eve. Some goof side he's going to run across the field, and everyone's like this. And James Harrison was, you know, not having it. The guy – the guy came over and he was standing in front of the Steelers sidelines. And James walked up behind him like this. He put the old suit belt buckle on him and he suplexed him. I mean, he just boom and wham, slammed him. Which the best part was, it was Christmas Eve and there was no judges over the weekend. So the goof had to spend the weekend in jail all through Christmas <laughs> weekend. And then this one, this is a, this is a, that's a good classic takedown. No, you know what? I, I, it serves you right. You want to run onto the field? You want to be part of the show? Yeah. Well, welcome to the show. <laughs> yep, there Buckle you up. go. Okay, well, we're going to let you get off, Craig, so you can go ahead and eat because I can see that. But I will. I am going to say this going away. Syracuse props, you're 5-0. You beat Wagner. 
bit of versity or, or is it oh, you had to throw that out there. I don't know if it's missing Syracuse. You had to throw Wagner out there, didn't you? I was the ball boy for four years. I'm proud of it. Okay. Well, all I can tell you is go Cuse. I'm 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 repping, okay? And it's Taco Wednesday, boys. So I'll see you. <laughs> okay. The Mountaineers are off this weekend and big games. Cards, Eagles, and of course the Steelers, Bills. Let's go. Bills. Steelers. God bless you. Love you, brothers. Love you guys, man. Love you, bro.